Welcome to Brick-A-Wish, a podcast about magic wishes and terrible ironic costs. On a previous episode, we asked if you'd take this wish with this cost. You can see into the spirit realm, but you have to work a living wage, gig economy style job, helping ghosts move on. Seems like a lot of you figured ghosts make bad clients. Final score, 57% reject on Twitter, 80% reject on Facebook. Today, we're reviewing the film Bedazzled, with my guests Kyle Scott and Ryan Hughes. Welcome to Break a Wish, the podcast where all your dreams come true, but with terrible, ironic costs. And this is one of our movie review podcasts where we're reviewing Bedazzled, the 2000 film. Uh, with me today is Kyle Scott. Hello. And Ryan Hughes. It is me, Ryan Hughes. Great. And uh, let's just start with, yeah, what are your paths with this film? I guess I'll get going. I know that I definitely saw it when it came out from Blockbuster when I was a teenager thought, oh, that was all right. That was kind of funny. And then had not seen it since until ready to record for this podcast. And someone said, that's a movie about wishes. And uh, I don't think it aged well, but I did see it. <laughs> what about you, Ryan? Uh, uh, should I actually, um, what's the what's the rating on this podcast? Can I swear? You swear if you gotta. Okay. I, I don't have a reason to swear right now. I just figured I'd check before we got into it. Oh, I just thought maybe the film had brought you to swearing. Did, did uh, you feel no. that strongly about it? There's... <laughs> We can we can get into that a bit. I do I do agree with your assertion that it did not age well. My God, it did not age well. <laughs> no. Um, uh, my history with the film is I just finished watching it about forty five minutes ago. Right. So you had not seen it previously yeah, at all. Yet. I mean, I was aware of it because, like, you know, I think like everyone else in our cu- culture, you know, I kind of I'm like, ah, oh, Brendan Fraser, he's a good dude. And so I was aware of it, but you never saw it. I knew it was uh, like a remake of a '60s film. But that's like literally all I knew about it until um, I watched it this evening. And Kyle? I also was aware of this as someone who was aware of things in the year 2000. Uh, but I'm primarily a giant fan of Peter Cook and Dudley Moore. Ah. Who wrote and starred in the original. So I've the seen 1967 that. one, yeah. Yes, I've seen that several times and had never actually gotten around to seeing this version until yesterday. Uh, but I rewatched the original the day before, so the comparisons are very clear in my mind. It was like, oh, they stole this and this and this, but then they stupidly changed that and that and that. And if you want to talk about something that didn't age well, a largely sex-based comedy from the late 60s is probably really high up there on the thing. But which one do you think aged faster? Because it that has a larger difference in time. That has been you know, 60 years, where this is only 20 years, and it still feels like it aged a lot in that short time. Which one aged faster, do you think, comparing the two? I would have to say the Brendan Fraser one aged faster, because there's... Harold Ramis is behind the camera, but there are no geniuses in front of it. Uh, So, and it somehow managed to be offensive on so many more fronts than the original was. that was actually something I wanted to ask you, actually, because Maddox mentioned that, that you, you were familiar with the 60s one. 
And I was just like, is the reason that some of this feels so retrograde because it's lifted from the 60s one? Or There's, I would say, a more overt misogyny in the 60s one, but that's... Really more? Cultural, wow. Well, <laughs> it's of its time. Uh, if you watch any sort of sex-based comedy from the late 60s. Oh, yeah, well, yeah sure. Yeah. The British comedy from the 60s, yes. Yeah, Casino Royale, that kind of thing. It's of that ilk a bit but it has uh a much drier restrained it's almost commenting on that in some ways like they have raquel welch come out as lust to uh seduce him but it's a comical seduction oh sure and, okay yeah there's all the there's the inherent problems of wishes that uh, completely dehumanize the uh object of his affection all that is still there uh but it's right. not homophobic or racist in any overt way wow which I'm sure we will be getting into as we go. Into oh the yeah, I was I was going to bring that up. I assumed I assumed we all would want to bring that up. They were. I'm going to use the word casual here in the sense that like they didn't seem like they were trying to be offensive. They just didn't realize how offensive they were being. Like it didn't seem like it was the point. It was just a thing that they assumed would be funny for a joke. Because you, you know what? Why I, not? I, like I feel what it is. And like, I have no evidence of this. This is just my own sort of theorizing. I feel what it is, is that it's like, like, I'm not going to disparage Harold Ramis. He was an excellent director. He's made, he made some amazing films. He knows what he's doing um, or knew what he was doing. Yeah, R.I.P. Um, but uh, I think the thing is, it's just, he's like, he's one of the, he's one of that generation of comedy guys, you know, like the, the sort of the original SCTV crew. Um, some of whose sensibilities just never really left the seventies. Do you know what I mean? In a lot of ways, I think, and a lot of it comes from this, I think is if you try to figure out where a lot of the comedy is trying to come from in this, a lot of it is they made, they went out of their way for excuses to put on funny voices and funny costumes. Yeah. And, and they felt like that did a lot of the work for their comedy. But that, that actually was the part of the movie that I liked the most was like, yeah. Orlando Let's, Jones in every one of those vignettes is hilarious. Orlando Jones destroyed me in the basketball one. Like, oh, just just his ab- his absolutely bizarre like sportscaster lingo. I hurt myself laughing. It was so strange. He, he has the best line, which is the one where the guy goes, "He plays like he's seven or eight foot," and he just like deadpan goes. Oh no, I don't think he's that big. No, he says oh, he is seven foot. And he's like eleven, and oh, I don't think he's that big. He's like, yeah. So yeah, he did great performances response. with what little he was given. He did yeah. a very good job of mugging to the camera and every little bit he got. So well, he did a good job. And Brendan Fraser, like, I mean, I know he's not everyone's cup of tea. I don't know how how we all feel about Brendan Fraser. I just, I'm generally very positive towards. I like the guy. I think I think he's I think he's a like a very good actor. He's very affable. He's not like a Gary Oldman sort of chameleon type of actor, but like the guy can hold us. He can the guy can hold a screen. The guy can carry a movie. He's very charming. He's very funny. And like, honestly, my favorite part of this movie was kind of just watching him do the the funny voices and costumes. And like that to me was the part where I was like, oh, you're actually charming enough to pull this off. This is fun. This is good. I definitely understood why they went with someone who is charming, because when I'm watching the start, like the setup of this film, I'm thinking to myself, if this wasn't a very charming actor, it would be hard not to see him as the villain. 
If he wasn't charming Brendan Fraser, he'd be a fucking incel. Well, yeah, I especially got incel vibe off him immediately. That's the basis of the base character for him. He's the him in the beginning of the movie is very unlikable. You absolutely understand why all of his coworkers just despise him and don't want to spend any time with him. I'm on oh, their yeah, yeah. side at the beginning of the movie. Oh, oh for sure. Scratching out the trying to scratch through the wall to get away from him. Like and it's great. And he did it in the most charming, funny way, but like he was I was like, Oh yeah, I've worked with that guy. I've been that guy. I've you know, I get it. I don't feel bad for him though. In the original, it's Dudley Moore and he if you think of Dudley Moore, most people think of Arthur and his other eighties films, and he's really not that in the original. He's very much underplaying it. He's very just a he's pretty likable he's a, he's a meek person and sure. he generally has a really good relationship with peter cook's devil in that really in that movie and you're on his side you're on the devil's side at all times you just want him to be happy and i don't really feel that for brendan fraser's character okay what was the moral of the film in the original because this one very clearly the moral of the story is supposed to be don't change yourself don't try to be someone else just be yourself because, you know, he tries to be a different person in each one. And then the end, he meets a version of the woman he loves who is more like himself. And it's all okay. Hmm. Even though that should not be the takeaway based on the setup. Because, no, he's an unlikable person who is unaware of other people's wants and needs and seems to ignore them. Oh, and, and women are dick-obsessed gold diggers who are all completely interchangeable. Yeah, that was another moral I got. The moral of the original is totally different. Because being yourself... Do, shouldn't hold from the start, even though that is clearly what they want us to have as a takeaway by the end. No, uh, in the original, the takeaway at the end is that the last thing you hear is this mocking sound of God's laughter as he has cast the devil out of heaven once again and forcing him to walk the earth because he hasn't truly learned to be uh, altruistic. And the the story is really that the devil is trying to when is trying to finish a task that God actually set for him and get a hundred billion souls and then he can go back to heaven and the God basically laughs at him and casts him out again. And Dudley Moore goes back to his life, not because he's learned that he really wants to be himself. It's just that he's learned that every one of his wishes is foolish and that striving for something will always lead to, uh, it's like your hubris will always lead to you getting cast back down again. A good symmetry between the story of Lucifer and the story of the character. He does ask out, he works in the original, he works in a, uh, a short order, a Wimpy's burger restaurant. And he asks out Eleanor Braun, who's playing with the waitress. And she says, I'm doing something maybe some other time. And he's okay with it. He does manage to ask her out, but he's not massively changed. He hasn't really learned a huge lesson. He's just learned that, Asking for trying to be something that he's not is not really worth it, even though he's not too happy with how he is. So it's kind of bleak. Ends with God laughing. So oh, bless those late sixties comedies. Okay, let's focus a little bit on the wishes here. Then, so the way that this is a film about wishes is that they actually phrase every devil deal with an "I wish," and from the perspective of someone making wishes. She doesn't seem to be turning them in a fair way. It doesn't seem to be like, oh, I found a way to take the word you said and like make it bad. Most yeah, of the time it just seems like you happen to not mention this other thing. So I'm changing this instead. Yeah, she's not like monkey's pawing it. She's just sort of like, I'll throw this in. <laughs> yeah. 
Like the most obvious one is the one where he becomes, he's very specific and he becomes the sports athlete. Yes. And he seems to be happy with being rich and famous and liked and athletic. And apparently small penis um, is just. Yeah. But like that's not part of the deal or that's not a inevitable consequence of being tall or anything. Like it's just a random out of nothing. I think the idea of the, the, monkey's paw aspect to that is that there are things you take for granted about what it would mean to be a famous successful athlete there are things you're taking for granted about your fantasies coming true that are not necessarily going to be part of the reality of that happening yeah i i think that's what they're going for i think they do it with as ryan made a wah-wah sound as opposed to a oh insightful I never considered that. Well, and and then like the it also just serves to it's sort of weird because the wishes sort of serve one purpose for like the first half of the wishes and then the and it's all sort of has to do with I don't know this sort of like what men expect what women want kind of thing and then they kind of abandon that after three wishes. And then it just sort of becomes a lot more random and this sort of seemed to be the one where it was just I don't know. Like it was a lot of just, it was just a lot of like whiny incel shit. Like just, oh, well, women say they want someone sensitive and then you're sensitive. And then they run off with like the first jock who kicks sand in your face, literally. And then like the next one was like, oh, but you know, oh, they really like your power and your fame. But if your dick isn't big enough, see you later, chump. Like, like yeah. I, I just, after a while, I just was like, shut the fuck up, movie. <laughs> There's sort of a, a very similar, a lot of the wishes in the original are different. There's a very similar one where he becomes a 60s pop star and Dudley Moore has this very loud, elaborate uh, dance show performance of a song where he's just screaming, love me, love me. And then it's completely <laughs> undercut immediately by uh, Peter Cook doing a very droll, dry, I don't like you, leave me alone. I don't want you and all of the women absolutely swooning for him. So there's <laughs> at least it's showing Dudley Moore that uh, you're just being incredibly needy and screaming for people to love you is never going to work. Well, that at least sounds a bit more self-aware and weird. Yes. You know? It's very self-aware and weird in the original, at least. Yeah. I don't think they were focusing in on the moral enough when they did those. Cause yeah, you're definitely right that they are. Just the hacky incel stuff. I feel like they were just doing that as a way to get out of it because what they really wanted to do was just to do dumb parody of each specific thing. Like they want to do a dumb parody of an overly sensitive person. They want to do a dumb parody of sports because there's some of the stuff that actually does work in this is just the dumb sports jokes, right? Like, oh, everything in the basketball scene until the very end with the small penis and even the bit right after that is hilarious. It is very on the nose it's everything about that had me actually laughing that was the only section of the movie where i was consistently doing that actually yeah if, if we're gonna actually we're gonna sh- shit on this movie a bunch so let's focus in on some of the bits that actually did work and we did like so one of the bits i did like was it, it's easy but it worked was the over sweating during the interview and the guy just deadpan getting sweat on yeah with it was, waterfalls uh, it was a great bit great bit it's a great bit it, it didn't works go every too time. far it just 
ramped up enough that it became a, they were aware that that was the joke and that nobody commented on it nobody made any reference to it was great that's what made it work was just it was just accepted that that's gonna happen and there was no comment on it another moment i really did like was actually the the way brendan plays Fraser played the gag of crying at the sunset. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Angry at the sunset for not setting fast enough because it was so beautiful. It made him cry and it was distracting him. Oh, when he sat down in that ginger wig and with the freckles, that was hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, like my favorite thing in this whole movie was just watching Brendan Fraser sort of play all these weird iterations of himself. Like, and I love the audacity of like doing an entire. Uh, sort of little vignette in probably not great Spanish, um, <laughs> you know, but it was fun. Like it was just so like, well, let's do this, you know, and and also with the sensitivity and just crying at everything and just just the whole sort of really gawky sort of simpering physicality he had with that guy. Like it was it, I really enjoyed all of his sort of just like goofy sort of comedic personas like that was probably my favorite part of the movie yeah the 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 movie almost works best when it's just being a bunch of sketches than when it tries to be a movie definitely took me a while to start paying close attention to orlando jones but when he's later in the film uh during the wish where brendan fraser is the witty urbane articulate person and he walks into the party and all the co-workers (laughs) are there and their guises and Orlando Jones has a small pair of like owl rim glasses that he's holding vertically and he just sort of looks through one of the lenses up and down and gives him a sizing up look. It is hilarious. Just a little thing. It's not not the focus of the scene at all, but it's the funniest bit for about 20 and, minutes in the movie. And I and I think he also like very intentionally and pretentiously pronounced the word publish as publish. Oh. Uh, <laughs> yes. yes, he did. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's the little things that work in this. It's, it's not the overall arc. There's, there's all these beautiful little moments in it. They had, I mean, yeah, Kyle, I think you're correct. Like there were no capital G geniuses in front of the camera or whatever, but like uh, a solid raft of like comic actors and they, they found lots of little fun bits to play with and stuff like that. But yeah, it was all like kind of little stuff that they were probably just like throwing in on the day, you know? Yeah, I definitely think that was part of it. I mean, that that is a Harold Ramis style, and so he. True, I yeah. guess we have we should give him some of the credit for that. That's how he does things. Sure, and it was very well directed. I mean, Harold Ramis knows how to direct a movie. Yeah, it's just yeah that script. I don't think there was any coming back from that script. Yeah, it definitely feels like this is the beginning of Harold Ramis forgetting. Mm. The year one things have really fallen off. And also, I don't think it had a very yeah satisfying wrap up because again, it was just trying to be a bunch of sketches. So when the end is just Deus Ex loophole, yeah, one nice wish you get out of it, but like you can do six horrendously evil ones as long as you one nice one they really hand wave that shit yeah and they did not like set that up at all (laughs) in any way shape or form any hints towards like maybe you should be nicer or anything like that just like oh you happen to be nice once that's all you need a jailhouse visitation from god decides that he's going to be a good person in the original it's uh peter cook the devil has won his sort of bet with god that he can get 100 billion souls and he's going to go back to heaven and he's very excited that he's going to be god's favorite angel again and he can't wait to get right back to his right hand side so as a sort of uh, a first present for God, he's going to do a nice deed and release Dudley Moore from his contract. And he gives him the contract to burn, and that's 
how Dudley Moore goes back to his regular life. Okay. Because they, the real friendship between Dudley Moore and Peter Cook is on screen. There's a real, you really believe that the devil actually does care about him and that Dudley Moore does like being around the devil. The interwish vignettes are some of the best in the movie when they're just talking to each other and you feel a sense of warmth and chemistry, which is not there between Elizabeth Hurley and Brendan Fraser. No. She sometimes has moments where like, I, I enjoy how sinister she's being and she does seem like she's having fun, but I definitely don't feel a strong connection between the two characters. Like the two characters feel like they are trying to do different things with each other. And yeah, there's a line near the end where Brendan Fraser tell it's taken from the original. It's like, tells the devil, I think you're the best friend I've ever had. And that does not play at all with what we've just seen. It means something different here. I think it still felt true, but it means something so different. Because in the one you're talking about, it sounds like it's because they're such close friends. In this one, it just comes across as terribly sad because it's yeah. so clear that his own friends friends hate him. And he he probably hasn't had any other friends in his life because he's just so unlikable as a person. <laughs> Him him walking away in the courthouse and then just sort of like looking back at her and then just the little shy wave he gives when he thinks he's never going to see her again. I was just like, oh, buddy, you're so you're so good at these sort of characters, you know, <laughs> he's so good at those sort of like just sweet puppy dog characters. Yeah, I feel like for her, they just kind of kept on changing her outfit. <laughs> That yeah. was how they used her in this. It was like every time she was in a different shot, they changed her outfit. But that was what they gave her to do. And that's how they decided to develop that character. Because the character doesn't really have clear motivations or no, wants or needs. No, when it when it's still sort of in the section of the movie where they're sort of harping on the battle of the sexes stuff, she has a couple of moments where she sort of seems to take on the role of like sort of like a weird wife or sort of emotional girlfriend sort of thing. like. And it's just sort of played for like rando laughs, but it, it is sort of in that same sort of sexist vein as like the rest of that thread of the movie that kind of gets abandoned at a certain point. But yeah, they kind of just pull away from what they were trying to do there. Yeah, they but, abandon the sexism in favor of a little bit of homophobia. Yeah. So we're not happy about that, but Christ. Uh, it, it was just so ham fisted too. And it was very. If this movie had been made. Three years later, they would never have done that. It was yeah. right the last moment in social history where you could make the ironic cost of a joke, but I'm gay. Yeah. Oh, the terrible twist? I'm gay. Yeah. Seem to be in a loving long-term relationship. Jesus. You could have almost saved it if you had played it in such a way that it was just because he was so obsessed with her. But again, they they have her be inconsistent from wish to wish. So it doesn't make sense that it's because, oh, he wants to be with her. It's just a terrible thing to happen to a man, which. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's emasculating. Yeah, basically. Or it's something. it's the equivalent to the small penis is the way they play it. Yeah, exactly. So that's not great. <laughs> uh, from the wish perspective, another thing that stands out to me is that it seems like every time he casts a wish, his friends and everyone else is just dragged along and have their universe changed too. And that seems reckless and unfair and unwarranted <laughs> that's one of the downsides of any wish is that if you wish to change the world you're changing everybody's world that's very selfish that's why you can't wish for world peace you don't know what the consequences of that are well this isn't that though this is him wishing for power and then like random people who happen to work with him getting dragged into being part of his posse for no reason other Listen, than they learned a language come on 
They learned a language, yeah, language. which is they nice. Donned brown face. Oh, it seems Christ like they God, lost a language right. too, because I don't think anyone spoke English. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe. Uh, I, I don't know. Like, I mean, I guess, I guess, it, I mean, if we're going with the logic of that, like, at least maybe they're not aware that the whole world has changed around them, like Brendan Fraser. I don't believe they were. Yeah. So at least there's that. I mean, it was clearly done for the filmmaking reason of it's easier to hire the same couple actors and give them, you know, a bunch of different roles, and it's and you know, it's a, you, it you was a fun game through the whole thing, you know. It's a fun game in a sort of Wizard of Oz-esque way. In terms of fairness of a wish, it's like, no, you don't just drag random people you work with into your magical vacuum whenever you change the universe and they suddenly become sportscasters or get pulled back in time to Abraham Lincoln's play. I, I did sort of appreciate how darkly over the shoulder that whole lincoln bit was it's nice that they got it over real quick like if you're going to make yeah. him the president let's let's have that be the shortest vignette because it doesn't yeah it really doesn't hold up that anyone really actually wants to be president and that's not a good thing and there's and no like one... there's honestly there's not much humor you can mine in that like there's kind of there's just sort of one dark joke going on so at least they kind of just like unloaded their clip and got out you know yeah they got their in and out real fast and that it it actually does kind of work in that how quick it goes. If they had lingered oh, there I, at all, I actually said unloaded their clip and got out and <laughs> with a, with actually without any that. without any it's thought Flint, to it's Flintlock, Ryan. It's Flintlock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had I, ball I, and cap revolvers. I think that's what he got. It might have been shot with a Flintlock, though. Because it was definitely a Flintlock. Yeah, was, I saw on screen. Okay, the devilishness of the wishes is a bit. Strange because the first one is hugely over the top compared to the rest of them in that there's massive explosions, helicopters, he's a Colombian drug lord. It starts really high out of the gate in terms of the concept of that wish. And the devil seems to lose interest in that as it goes on. And you see that the devil is also engaged in like the petty larceny and the uh, just practical joking. But I really felt that the devil should be ratcheting up the irony and the emotional stakes, and it just keeps going down and down, I felt. It's speeding up instead of getting escalating, yeah. I sort of wondered if there was maybe some like reordering in post. Like I'm wondering if there was some reason that... like I was wondering if it was in a certain order and then it got changed in the edit or something. Because, yeah, like there was no escalation. It kind of bounced around, you know? Uh, yeah, I guess like there's not a lot. They could have just reshot the interstitial bits and then that the uh, move the other bits around because they don't connect very much to each other at all. No, yeah. yeah the original has a clear uh, through line from one wish to the next is trying to fix a problem in the previous wish, not necessarily, oh, I'm just going to rethink this totally because it's supposed to be about refinement. There's, if anything, you learn from an ironic wish when you have seven of them is, you should just pick one wish and keep refining it. You find those loopholes instead of giving a whole new palette of loopholes for the devil to exploit. Yeah, he didn't seem to learn from his mistakes very much at all. Like he he was just as willing to make vague wishes or undefined wishes. I mean, she wasn't being fair, obviously, but also he didn't seem to be going like you'd think as this went on, he would be like, all right. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to write this out. I'm going to think up all the possible loopholes. I'm going to write them all out. My wish is going to be like two minutes long as I say all the things that I'm clarifying in this wish. But instead, like at one point, he actually just goes, I wish you can fill in the rest. 
and doesn't expect it to go wrong. <laughs> it makes sense in a version of the movie where their relationship is warmer, where there's a more of a trust and a chemistry between them. That kind of makes sense, where you feel like the devil might actually have his best interests in mind, but at no point does he have any basis for that assumption. No, they're very adversarial in most of this. Other than him being, again, vaguely incel-esque and she being a hot woman, so he'll listen to her. Mm-hmm. Like That's the relationship they seem to have. I mean, I would probably listen to anything late 90s Elizabeth Hurley said to me. I would still be skeptical. I have trust issues, though. Mm. Those might just be my trust issues. <laughs> I, I would want to see the business card that says simply the devil. Like that is probably not going to convince me of anything. It, I want to see a nice that. card stock, though. If this I is, I know that was yeah. like the Patrick. It was embossed business card. I actually, I actually really like that bit. It's just, it's completely stupid, but you know, I enjoyed it. Again, that's where the where the movie shown was in the tiny bits that were funny. Yeah, where the movie faltered was trying to trying to make cohesive sense, and secondly aging so fast yeah so I, fast. I sort of feel like uh it really just feel in its sort of treatment of sort of women and just sort of its interaction with the culture even at the time i i kind of feel like it feels like the movie was just written by like a bunch of middle-aged dudes who were in the middle of divorces that's probably accurate i mean i don't know that as a fact no but i don't I, I don't know either but it feels plausible <laughs> it just yeah it just feels like an an angry divorced guy ranting about why he has to pay alimony or something i think the original the entire idea of somebody who would have to make a wish to get a date was the joke that this person is selling their soul for something pretty pathetically although he does meet the devil when he's trying to kill himself which is a bit darker but it's definitely the joke is on that culture whereas we're supposed to on some level really want him to get together want brendan fraser to get together with this woman and then in fact gets together with a woman played by the same actress so as his consolation prize yeah that was that was pretty gross (laughs) yeah it's not good again he does not learn the correct lesson from this experience yeah the lesson should be grow as a person change change yourself and yet the film is trying to say very clearly, no, no, don't change yourself. Eventually, someone will come along that is exactly what you want, but like you more. Oh, cool. Women are interchangeable. Their faces just slide from personality to personality. Uh, no one, no one doesn't matter yeah. what their career is or anything else. But, well, I mean, yes, about women. But again, with the weird multicasting, also everyone else is interchangeable. Yeah, I guess. I mean, he was interchangeable from scenario to scenario. Like, are you getting what you want if you're not who you are anymore? That's an existential question that this film did not bother to answer, but comes up in my mind. Is he getting what he wants if it's not him anymore in each you thing? The only thing about him that's the same is the name. Right, right. It's, you know, it just feels not very thought through. Do you know what I mean? Like, it just... It just sort of feels like, like, yeah, they kind of just had uh, half an idea from the original film and kind of said, yeah, you know, just be yourself. And then that's just kind of where they went from. Well, that's the Hollywood. Yeah. They get the millions of dollars for the CGI from Hollywood. So, and and you know, I think it was designed to be probably a mid-season release of a, of a comedy film, and it made money, so it was technically a success. <laughs> I By think, the Hollywood standard of making money, it did make money. 
I think the difference between the two versions and sort of intellectual laziness of the remake can be summed up in the difference between the two initial wishes. They're basically the same in that in the or- in the original, to prove the devil's devilishness, uh, Moore slash Fraser wishes for something very small. Uh, Moore for a popsicle, Fraser for a Big Mac in a crass bit of product placement. And the devil... <laughs> And him go on the get on a bus and go, and the devil makes him pay for it, but he, it's still provided. And in the remake, the devil tells him that was one of the initial seven wishes, and he's only got one wish left. Whereas in the original, the devil doesn't tell him that until he's already stuck in a last wish that he wants to get out of, and he's now trapped in forever uh, until the devil later decides to tear the contract. But that is a good bit of devilishness that is completely abandoned in the remake and forces gives him an opportunity to learn his moral lesson and get out of jail free which is just lazy and saccharine and totally at odds with an original film that was had ended with god laughing in derision which god laughs in derision at our wishes as i guess the original lesson that you have to learn is that trying to make a wish to fulfill a fantasy is a fallacy because any fantasy is inherently unworkable and unrealistic and the implications of it can't possibly be thought out and will never live up to your expectations. I mean, I guess some wishes could work. Otherwise, my whole podcast might fall apart. Hey, if you wish for a Big Mac and a Coke, that can come true. Just don't make sure you're asking for fries. Yeah, and ask that he gets it's for a free Big Mac and Coke. So that someone else pays for it. Yeah, the devil and get the frag. Yeah, that all makes sense. Yeah, you've got to you've got to think small with your wishes. You've got to think concrete, realistic, goal oriented wishes. I agree. Always set your goals, watch your phrasing, and consider the future when you make a film to see if maybe maybe you can last. Try to be a little progressive with your ideology. Don't go for the cheap gags. That, that's impossible. Uh, We we never know what is wrong with us at the time. We just look back on them and regret our decisions. Just don't make anything that involves wishing for another person's free will to be compromised. Actually, that's a good lesson. All right. Yeah, don't don't make any wishes that affect other people's free will. I think that's fair. Yeah, that's what's great about Aladdin is that you can't wish for anyone to be in love with him. That's what makes that a moral movie. Yeah, he did try that a couple of times. And yeah, that, that doesn't work. Doesn't work. All right. So last call, I guess I think I feel like we all know where we're saying, but you guys ever going to watch this again? I'm going to watch. I might watch the the original, the the 67 version, because uh, I just I just want to see um, the original that is uh, less horrifyingly retrograde than the than the remake it is horrifyingly retrograde but it's oh no no it's yeah. it's a british comedy from the late 60s i yes. i know that but uh but uh, you know i uh, i somehow doubt there's like tiny penis jokes in it yeah not really uh it's <laughs> there is there was a pause i don't know how there can be an ambiguous tiny penis joke was it a tiny penis joke or wasn't there no uh, there's some pretty bad stuff that would never see the light of day today uh that is put into the mouths of characters that you're never supposed to be in support of sure but yeah it's a 60s british comedy that uh is involved sex so it's very very bad about that it but is I- also a very dry funny movie in its other bits but I do sort of feel like the like with the with the pedigree of the writers on it, I sort of feel like there's there's going to be a lot more sort of devilishness of like 
oh, I'm going to catch you in a trap of your own words and desires and as opposed to just sort of bunch of weird set pieces like like in the remake, you know? It, it, there's there's a bunch of weird set pieces, but it's the fun is in the uh, the small moments of the movie. It's very dry. It's very sort of indicating humor rather than hitting you over the head. Sure, but no. The, or maybe the, here's a better question. Then, do you think this premise is rife for a remake? Yes. I mean, it's because this one didn't age well. So maybe maybe we could make a good one. I mean, it's Faust, right? I mean, it's it's. On some basic level, it's the Faust thing, right? So, mm-hmm. I mean, there are going to be other remakes along these lines because that's just sort of one of those stories that's been around for centuries now. Yeah, so uh, maybe maybe the next one they'll get it right. <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah, the, uh, the Maddox Campbell, Kyle Scott as the devil version will get this right. And we'll have uh, Ryan Hughes as the Orlando Bloom stealing every scene. <laughs> <laughs> you on board, Ryan? Uh, there is, there is no, uh, I mean, I, I might be funnier than Orlando Bloom, but, uh, yes, I, but, uh, I don't think I would catch up with Mr. Jones at all. <laughs> all right. Thanks so much for joining me guys. Uh, we'll be back with another movie wish soon. Well, that's what we came up with, but we want to hear from you. Tell us your thoughts. You can find us on Twitter at BreakAWishPod, email BreakAWishPod at gmail.com, join the BreakAWish discussion group on Facebook, and you can support the show by writing a review, telling a friend, or buying a t-shirt on TeePublic. All this information at BreakAWish.ca. For more Ryan Hughes, you can find him at Ryan F. Hughes on Twitter, or follow his sketch duo at ThoseWhiskeyKids. For more Kyle Scott, you can follow him on Twitter at GKyleScott, and maybe check out our old D&D podcast, Caverns and Comedians. This is a Kicks and Giggles Entertainment production, hosted by Maddox Campbell, themed by Matthew Reed, cover art by Justin Langford, and a proud member of the Sonar Podcast Network. More podcasts at thesonarnetwork.com. So, what would you wish for? has been brought to you by the Sonar Network. Sonar! Caverns and Comedians is a real play Dungeons and Dragons podcast featuring Toronto comedians playing Dungeons and Dragons. We roll the dice, but we edit that out to just give you the nice role-playing experience. Featuring acts of heroism. I've got his wallet. I mean, I, I didn't mean to kill him, but he was bad, right? We're pretty sure. Do I have to heal you? I don't want to. Can't you just die? Ooh, a dungeon master! My safe word is potato! Stumbling towards goodness one roll at a time. Caverns and Comedians can be found on iTunes, Google Play, or kicksandgigglesentertainment.com. Hi, I'm James. I'm the landlord of a large, rundown apartment building. And I'm Mike, one of James's unfortunate tenants. Together, we're the hosts of the Landlord and Tenant Podmess, the only podcast with the guts to ask the question, can a landlord and tenant be buddies? Interesting side note, during the Chinese Revolution, peasants murdered their landlords in droves. Okay, weird. 
We also talk to hilarious guests from the world of comedy, music, and beyond. So be sure to download the Landlord and Tenant Pod Mess wherever you get your podcasts. Get your pod on, baby. Get your pod. God, Mike. I'm just having some fun. 